0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: You're working that conversation. You're working the comfort around the fact that you have to see that in this event that God is at the center of it. And in this case, it's he's not only at the center, but to get to God, you've got to do it through Jesus Christ. And if you recall, I said a couple of weeks ago, sometimes we talk so much about God this and God, that and God this and God, that, the world can do that, but all you've got to do is bring up Jesus Christ and it's a little bit of a you mentioned the name Jesus. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you get to God the Father, but you've got to get it through me. And then he talked about and I'm going to come back for, who's gonna, I'm going to come back for you and you're going to be with me, which means you might give him all the solutions of how to deal with the affliction in your life, but you're never going to be able to get them totally out of debt. You're never going to be able to get that wayward, rebellious child to come back and respect mom and dad again. You might never be able to change their world to maybe ease the affliction. We may not. We might, may not. And if we don't, it's okay, because this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Do you believe that? And that's what he's trying to say right here. Your world is not going to get better. These guys, they had some work days. They had some warfare days. They had some honeymoon days ahead. But they still had trials and afflictions. And all of them but one died a martyr's death. And the one who didn't die the martyr's death was still martyred. He just didn't die in the martyrdom. They boiled him in oil and he still lived. So, Jesus says, I'm going to come back for you so you can be with me. So you can't promise that the affliction will be gone. Then he says here, you'll do even greater things than I'm doing right here. Basically, if you want to help someone, whatever they're going through, sometimes the best thing they can do... little motorcycle out there. My mom got a new motorcycle, so just let her go by. Just joking. Back to this. What you need to do is to help them understand that sometimes when they start doing what they ought to do, that relieves some of the affliction. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. You have what is known as... um, behavioral modification. Behavioral modification says if you begin to do these things, certain things begin to happen. You begin to overcome some bad habits and perhaps new habits set in and you might have a a little bit better circumstance in your life, whatever that is. I'm being very general on this thing. So is behavioral modification biblical or not? It is to a degree. First of all, the scripture says that if your thoughts are right, your behavior will be right. And I'm going to speak to that in just a moment. But it also says, commit your works unto the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So it's quite possible that in the midst of all that these disciples and what they're going to be going through, Jesus is saying, I did some great works. But you're going to do greater works in the sense that I gave the gospel to these people. You're going to give the gospel to so many more people. You're going to go to so many more places than I did physically when I was on the earth as Jesus did over here. And so you've got some great work spiritually and extensively in scope that you're going to do. So in other words, what he's doing is taking them and looking no matter what you're going through, whatever it is, watch this now, there is a bigger picture of something else that's going on. So maybe you're going through some really tough times right now. The biggest question might be asking, what lessons can I learn from this? And how could this fit into a bigger plan that God is preparing me for? Because the best preparation for tomorrow is the best use of today. And so what is God teaching me? What can I learn through whatever I'm going through? And so get ready to do those better works that are out there. The fourth thing we looked upon was that we can ask whatever we want in his name. And he will do it. And that will bring glory to Him. And we gave you the caveat. In order to do that, though, you had to pray in His name. And in His name means in His way. Because in His name isn't just in His name like you end a prayer to let everybody know, especially God, that you're finished. So you pray according to His name. And so now you're teaching that no matter whatever you're going through, it is not inappropriate for you to be delivered from this. It's not inappropriate for you to ask the Lord... Lord, is there a lesson I can learn? Is there some way you can relieve this? It is not wrong for Mark to request God and all of us to pray that Linda would come back to normal health at a reasonable time. It is not wrong. But yet it is still to be done in God's way and in God's time and in her health may only be fully restored completely when she dies and she gets a new body. But it's not wrong to ask in Jesus' name for His glory. And that's the bottom line. It's for His glory. Which now brings us into a little bit of new material for today. And I want you to look at this. What's the next thing that He is now telling them to do so that their heart will not be troubled? Go to verse 15 now. In verse 15 it says, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Well, that's in a whole section there about a relationship with Him. If you ask anything in My name, I will do it so the Father is glorified. And then He says, And if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. What I'd like to encourage some of you to do is to do a little scripture search on the idea of love and commandments when they're either in the same verse or in the same context. And what you're going to find so beautifully is this, is that you you often do not separate love from His commandments, that they are very, very much together. What I'd like to submit to you, though, is perhaps the better or the more proper order of what you do. For example, sometimes you will hear people say that um, prove you love the Lord by keeping His commandments. So the whole emphasis is do the commandments, do the commandments, do the commandments so you can show everybody that you really love Him. And that's not totally wrong but at the same time it's not the, probably the clearest way, make it clear, that you can express that. Because sometimes you can focus on doing a lot of the commandments, and we're going to call it sin management. In other words, you do the commandments when you're seen. You do the commandments if it kind of fits you. You do the commandments if it fits the the scheme of how you think God will want to be glorified. So your commandment thing becomes skewed into an area of duties. Which then it's a slippery slope because all of a sudden then we might move from a biblical command and in some translations say precepts, into legalism, where man now either puts equal to or above biblical precepts what they think man should do, how to dress, where to go, what not to do. And all of a sudden, we've moved away from the biblical premise to a man-made, spiritually-sounding premise of how we're now to love God or how we're to show people that we love God. I would like to submit to you that, that that thinking will be more sustainable, more accurate if you push it in the direction it is found in Scripture. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the emphasis far ought to be, do I really love the Lord? And work on your intimacy with the Lord. That doesn't mean absent from doing the commandments because you can't say I love you and then don't do anything because that's just lip service to the Lord. But it's the motivation of, do I really, really love them? You will find that the people that you really love, you will do all sorts of things. Our son gave us permission to tell you this. I shared it a couple times, but one time a group of people from our church in San Antonio took our son when he was a young teenager, very young, middle school, out to a Mexican restaurant. And our son was like the first time he was going out with a family by himself because they really liked him and the family is a very gracious family like so many of you might be and you take our son out and said eat this and so he ordered his enchilada and they said did you like that oh it was really good you want another one well no 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 you want another one okay had another one he ate that one you really like that you really can eat would you like another one well no 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 oh sure you want another okay and so he was eating one enchilada after another enchilada after another enchilada and he comes home All right, no problem Late in the afternoon, does whatever he said. I don't even remember what he did. All I remember is that Caroline, we go to bed about 9 o'clock. He went to bed about 8.30. And uh, we're reading in the bed. And Carol's reading. It's our basic routine every night. Been like that for decades. And we hear somewhere down the hall. And then slam. And then I hear the most horrible, retching sound I've ever heard in my life. And so Carol says, go see what happened. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I went in there. And I, want, I don't want to be too descriptive, but I want you to know his enchilada was all over the walls, the floor, the commode, the sink, the bathtub. And uh, so I came back. And I, I said, Carol, our poor son. And she said, what happened? What did he do? I said, all I can tell you is our dear son Joe just exploded in the bathroom. Now, my wife, she jumped up, as many of you wives do, and she says, You know what? Let me get in there and, and I'll clean it up. Now, she didn't do it to prove her love for Joe. She certainly didn't do it because she loves vomit, okay? She did it because she loved our son and knew that he was in distress. And so I really believe our intimacy with God is at the key of all that we do. So my question is Do you really love the Lord? And, of course, that love is borne out by the things that you do. And it is true. If you don't do His commandments, it's suspect if you really do love Him. And so when you help someone that's going through some deep times right now, usually they begin to think, God doesn't love me, He hates me. I don't think, you know, why would He do this? And they begin to have an attitude, why me, why this, why now God? And they blame Him. It's a wise thing for you to do is to still turn their attention back to the Lord. Now listen very carefully, because I'm going to give you a two-level formula that might help you when you help someone and why it is important for them to have a time alone with God. So let me give you the secular version first. The secular version in counseling might say something like this to someone who's troubling. Your behavior isn't good. They're crying all the time. They're depressed. They don't want to go to work. Whatever that behavior is when they're in major distress, they have a behavioral issue. Okay. So what do you tell that person? Generally you tell them they need to change their feeling. They they need to work on their attitude. You teachers know exactly what I mean. If you've got an incorrigible child or he's kind of rambunctious in your class, you go up to him, you tap him on the desk and you say, listen, listen, Joey or whatever your name is, you need an attitude adjustment. That's not totally wrong because if your attitude is right, usually your behavior will come in line. However, I'd like to submit to you that often that the attitudes that we're dealing with is is a little more difficult to work with until you get their thinking right. So if a person has bad behavior, it's because they have a bad attitude and bad feeling. And generally that's because because they have bad thinking. Somehow their thinking needs to be worked on. Now I don't want to get into this whole deal about physiological chemical stuff that's going on. We can do that. And there is a place for that. I I taught you that last week. So we got last week's CD. But the point of the matter is there's a thinking thing going on right here that needs to be worked on. Now, good secular counseling will help you through that little triad, sorting it all out to seem that they can work with it. Now let me give you a little off bar here. I'm not saying a gazillion people through all of time will work through that little triad that I've given you. Behavior, feeling, thinking. But in most cases, that'll work. Now let me go back to the biblical basis of that. All right? Now, isn't it not true that, that we should want what God wants, which is that our behavior would be honoring to God? I think that's true. So, we want to honor God. We want to obey God. We want to obey His commandments. Now, to do that and sustain in doing that, we have to really trust Him. It's hard for me to sustain an obedient life if at times I go in and out of, do I really trust God in these things? If you really look back at why we go up and down on our emotions and all that kind of stuff in life, it's because we go up and down on do we really believe that God is large and in charge. We really wrestle with that. And so once we really sense that, yes, I am going to trust Him. I'm going to completely rely upon Him. I'm going to be speaking to a lot of that issue in the men's class on Wednesday nights when we talk about the man of God. And I want to talk about the heart right before we get to the rest of it. But that's only like feeling. That's not enough. We can talk a lot about trusting God. But people today, I'm finding, are having a difficult time trusting God. And the reason they have a difficult time trusting God is because they don't know God. For I believe that if we know God accurately and biblically, we'll find it far easier to be able to trust Him, all things considered. And when we begin to have a life of faith, we become much easier to have a life of obedience because if our heart is right, our feet will follow, so to speak. So now our emphasis should be on, do we really know God? And that's why it's important for us to understand what we might call His attributes. Who is God? What's His essence? What is attributes? What is His character? And so if we really know Him... Who could not fall in love with someone who is in control of everything I can't control and shouldn't control? Who would not want to love love God, our God, who is always good to us? True, He might hurt us, but He'll never harm us. Harm means we're hindered from reaching our full potential. Hurting just brings things into our life to remind us where the boundaries are. So He's always good to me. He's always faithful to me. He loves me unconditionally just the way that I am. He's more powerful than any adverse situation that comes my way so I can either overcome it or endure it with joy. And so as I begin to look at who God is, I love this God. I will trust this God. And he's telling me that I need to fill in the blank as we're going through all of our studies here. I need to do this. So now, yes, if I love him, I will keep his commandments. But my emphasis isn't so much just purely on keeping commandments. It's on do I really know him. And now this is where the women's study is going to go on Wednesday night wanting to know the Lord. And they're going to go through the attributes and who is God and how does that flesh out and trusting Him and then how do I live for Him as a person, partner, parent or maybe a professional woman that has to work in the world of work so they're going to help you with that. I'm not trying to do that to sell a class. I'm trying to tell you all classes somewhere ought to be focused back on do we really know the Lord. And when we do that, our comfort level rises even in the midst of the most horrific storm we might go through. And it should strengthen us to help the other person. Well, now, <clears throat> the question is, all right, how do I help someone if I can really work with that person? I want to go back now to show you that the Lord then says, I will provide you a, here it is, helper. So let's go back to the passage here, if you will. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I pray that we will, and we do it because we love him. But he also says, I will send the Holy Spirit to comfort you. Now look in verse 16, it says, I will ask the Father... And by the way, that tells me again of his mediation. You can't get to the Father but through Christ. You can't get your prayers answered but through Christ. So Christ is how we get to the Father. Now, we know Christ is the Father, but it's to let you know the mediatorial relationship that the the Son has with the Father. I will ask the Father, and he will give you... Kind of interesting. I'll go to dad, he'll give you this because dad does what I want. Well, one is because I am dad and son all at the same time. But he says, and he will give you another helper. Now, you might want to underline the phrase, he will give you another helper. So I want you to know it is a promise from the son about the father that you will get a helper. So now, again, where are we going in our sermon today? you will have a helper to get you through whatever you're suffering with with a troubled heart. You will have a helper that will help you in counseling someone who's suffering as well as a promise you can give to them. Watch this, watch this, watch this. If you trust Christ as Savior, you will now have a helper to get you through this. So again, the confidence goes back to the deity, goes back to Christ. This is very important, this is critical, this is essential stuff you're getting right now. Well, let's go back to the passage. It says, He will give you another helper. Well, Let's park for just a moment on the concept of helper. And I don't know what your translation says. Mine says helper and it says it more than once in the Gospel of John. Actually, it comes from a Greek word and I don't want to overload you. you notice I don't like to give you a lot of Greek because it doesn't really matter what Greek word it is. What matters is what it means. And What that word is a very unusual word in the Greek because it means come alongside to assist But it's left in a very broad stroke it's not in a very tiny stroke it's a word that's very broad so it can be and it has been in greek writings that word was used for an advocate an attorney a comforter an intercessor a mediator someone who will help you so to use the word helper i want you to see its helper in all facets that would add value to your life, that would bring glory to the Lord. So you're allowed to use the word helper there, but look at it as much broader. than That It doesn't necessarily mean that when you have a flat tire in a rainy day, that you can say, come on in Lord and change this tire for me. He's going to help me do that. It can tell you that sometimes miraculously things happen where God will bring things about if you need that tire changed for what God's purpose is for your life instead of maybe for you sitting there and waiting for God to bring the right person to help you from a lesson that you might need to learn. He's going to help you to go through whatever it is. Now, you see the phrase here is, I will give you another helper. This gets really challenging in the English because we only have one word for the word another. It's the word another. In Greek, you have two words, and that's why it's important. You have one word that means another of a different kind. Another word in the Greek means another of the same kind. Now you all know that I like pizza. And so let's say that I finished my, my slices of pizza and I go up to the counter and I say, give me another pizza. Now if you're behind the counter, you might scratch your head. You want another one. Do you want another one like you like, which is cheese? Or do you want another one that has pepperoni? Do you want one of the same kind? Or you want one that's different? Because I just use the word another. In this context, it's not, I'm going to give you another kind of helper. It's, I'm going to give you another helper just like me. This is huge because what we're setting up now is we don't have a totem pole. We don't have God's the big guy. Then you've got Jesus is next in charge. And then finally the Holy Spirit is somewhere down here kind of picking up the pieces. You see him as being equal to God. And this is only the, the tip of the iceberg on the equality of the Holy Spirit with God himself. And in this case, Christ in context. So he says here, I'm going to give you another helper just like me. Now when you read that, you're saying, Well, that's pretty cool. But remember what's going through these guys' minds. I just heard that, oh, Jesus is going to be gone. He just said he's going to be, I can't come after him. What's going to happen to us? He says, Don't worry, I'm going to give you another helper just like me. Now they didn't know all the story yet that we've already studied and we're going to study, but something's going to happen so that they don't have to worry about it. So let me say it in a more general way. Sometimes when we go to church, and I hope it's with you as it is with me, when I come to church, I get so filled. I get filled by the testimonies, of the Word, the preaching, the singing. I, 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 it's like my vitamin tablet during the, during the Sunday morning. I love coming Wednesday night because it's kind of like the hump day. You know, get through Wednesday, I get charged up again, I can get on through. But I have to remember that I don't need a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night to do that. Jesus is with me all the time through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. No matter where I go, what I do, He is going to be with me forever and ever and ever. All right, let's go back to the passage. It says that he may be with you forever. I just kind of quoted that. But I want to give you a moment, if this is your Bible, to circle the word forever. I want you to circle or mark the word forever. This would be a good place for me to spend the rest of our time just going over the eternal security of the believer. I don't have time to do that. I have plenty of CDs out on that, teaching from God's Word, on the fact that once you trusted Christ as Savior, genuinely, authentically, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, all of that, you are born again. And we know that the Spirit is coming, in context of timeline here, has come because the Bible is now completed. This was 2,000 years ago. So if I get the Holy Spirit and He is with me forever, that means I will never lose the Holy Spirit. He will never leave me because He is with me forever. In this context, doesn't give you a caveat or a backdoor out. You get Him forever. You can grieve the Spirit, but you can't grieve Him away. If you trust Christ. And He's speaking to these guys. So let's go back the passage again. Then it says that is the spirit of truth implying or not implying, explicitly saying the helper is the spirit of truth. Now, I'm going to come back to the concept of truth but I'd like you to think just for a moment that it's referring to the embodiment of God's mind on paper. It is his truth. It is what he wants us to know about him. What he wants us to know how to glorify him. What he wants us to know about truth. He is truth. He is a spirit of truth. Then it says whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive the Spirit because it does not see Him or it does not know Him. Now let's pause for a moment and talk about that for just a second. It's kind of weird. I didn't know the Spirit and yet I got the Spirit. I couldn't know the Spirit. Yes, I got the Spirit. How is that? What, what happened where that the world here doesn't know they don't have it? How do you get that over that line of I didn't know it but now I have it. They didn't know it. They didn't know Him. So how did they get it? Listen carefully now. First of all, in the Bible... Many times when the Spirit of God was doing something, they attributed Beelzebub, which was Satan. So the activity of the Spirit doing things on the earth, they attributed to some kind of supernatural force, but not God. That's key. You can go through the Old Testament and see all these wonderful signs and wonders that were done. The performance was done by the Lord. I believe it was done by the Spirit of God because that seems to be the engine that goes even through the New Testament. So you're seeing the Holy Spirit's activity. So in a sense, He is now working. They did not attribute it to the Holy Spirit. They attributed it to some kind of other force that was out there. And many times it could be underneath the authority of the Lord. Now we come back into this passage here. So now they could see the Spirit but they wouldn't recognize the Spirit because they didn't want the Spirit. Which means now for you and me, that if we're going to continue rejecting Christ, rejecting his word, rejecting even the fact that there is a Holy Spirit and that he is God and that he does fit in a parameter of um, spiritual laws, we might say, that are confined with scripture, then we'll never fully understand Christianity. We'll create our own Christianity, but not biblical Christianity. All right, now coming back to this. So they really didn't know him. So now what I'd like you to do in your margin of your notes, I'm going to go through a little, little uh, quick little showing of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. If you will, go to John chapter 7 for just a moment. We are really getting ready to land the plane, believe me, I promise you. But I want you to go to John chapter 7. We're just looking in John, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The reason you need to understand this is because I'm going to come back to the point of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in counseling. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in bringing you comfort, okay? So we're looking now at John chapter 7. We've already studied this, but look at it very carefully because I want you to see the development of the Holy Spirit from John chapter 7. Verse 37 through 39. Jesus says, Now at the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried and he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That was a phrase that was often used throughout Scripture for salvation. He who believes in me. Ooh, that even makes it more clear. If you believe in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit. So the rivers of living water is like the Spirit of God. Where is the Spirit of God? In your innermost being.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.